Welcome to Point of Reflection, the Masonic Education Network podcast. My name is Chris and joining me are Phil, Right Worshipful Brother Wong and Right Worshipful Brother Blackson Walker. Today we are discussing Masonic governance. So brethren, Masonry has both a ceremonial function that is unique and vital to what it is as an organization and a complex administrative one. So in your opinion, how, how important is it to keep these distinct? If we take it back a step and, and say, you know, what is governance? And, and what does it provide? Um, in corporate Australia, you know, governance, governance is many things. Um, it's the framework of risk management, compliance, uh, processes, um, basically business administration, are all part of a healthy corporate Australia and organisations like the Governance Institute of Australia, which have about 40,000 members um, and was the old Chartered Secretaries Association, keep... keep publicly listed companies, not-for-profits and charities all going um, with, their, with their governance through, you know, the old company secretary structure. So that's very important for, you know, the way companies and, 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 and organisations are run. So that's one part of, you know, what is governance. What we have as an organisation is a, an association or, or a society that's founded well in the 17th century, um, is governed by principles that are in some respects, from a bygone era, yes, um, and, and, but we are a fraternity, so, you know, different concepts. But the issue we have now is that we, we are in the 21st century. We are supposed to have um, an alignment with, with modern-day goals and sometimes there's some ambiguity between the things that we should be doing and the things that we can do. And, and I find that that's probably one of the, the hardest bits to sort of correlate. You know, when we're the master of the lodge, we're the representative of King Solomon and our power is absolute. That doesn't happen in corporate Australia. It doesn't happen in any other modern-day organisation. Are we reflective of modern society? Probably not. Not by our governance structures, most certainly. And how many of us in the organisation are aware of what governance frameworks are, how they work and how they're implemented in modern society. I think that's probably one of the big issues. And I absolutely agree with uh, Right Worshipful Blacks and Walker there. Um, we, I'd even take a step further to distinguish uh, the Masonic uh, organisation that we're all, we're all part of here in New South Wales, and that is um, that Brethren do uh, actually um, donate uh, monetary uh, amounts to 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 their lodge and also to Grand Lodge. So we get a lot of bequeaths. We also get uh, named in a lot of wills and es- estates. So we're dealing here uh, with financial, a lot of financial um, resources, which we need a complex administration. Well, it appears complex, but we it's a it's a compliance administration uh, system that ensures that membership funds are uh, adequately protected and. Uh, appropriately applied for the benefit of those that have uh, invested, but also more importantly for the overall jurisdiction. So it's so you need those structures in place, and hence you know you have the ceremonial functions of a grand of a lodge, uh, but also within the lodge itself you have your secretary, you have your treasurer, you have your management committee. So that you know it's two sides of a coin. The, uh, you know you've got ceremony, but you've got that administration that actually provides the sandpit or the structure for people to actually go about their uh, Masonic uh, ceremonial duties. So I'll give one example. One, one example would be, you know, you have a lodge, you know, it's uh, out in, the, in regional, Australia, uh, regional New South Wales, um, it folds in, 
okay, lack of membership, but through the efforts of previous uh, um, committees, um, they've you know they've they've actually saved up, say for for example, a hundred grand. So that those monies, once that lodge hands its uh, charter in, those monies actually um, get get um, ring fenced and protected, and goes into a, uh, a, a, a actual a dedicated bank account that is uh, that has a committee that overlooks it, and there's checks and balances to ensure that uh, you know that it's you know that the funds are protected and in turn uh, returned to uh, members if they're still around, or it's it goes into what they call free funds in uh, Grand Lodge, New South Wales. Yeah, I think it's important that, you know, when you think of governance and, and the way that it plays a part in, in the craft, it's things like that because we are talking about, you know, we say, there's an old saying, you know, we're not talking about sheep stations. Well, in fact, we actually are. Now, there is a lot of money um, in the corpus of, of our Grand Lodge and, you know, you know, governance is just one part of the framework. I suppose you know the under the underpinning word for me would be transparency, yeah. and how do we as an organisation allow members who, if this was a publicly listed company, would be shareholders? Yeah. How do the shareholders know what's happening? Are the shareholders aware of how the money is invested? Are the shareholders aware of what the shareholder funds are? You know, there are five main things that you look at when you get an annual report. You know, you've got the balance sheet, you've got the cash flow summary. Um, you know, you've got the director's report, you've got the auditor's report, uh, you've got the profit and loss. Um, and, yes, we do all of that. But, you know, that's for people that have a certain standard of financial literacy that can understand what's happening. And I believe, as an organisation in the modern era, we probably need to organise it so that they're easier to read, we take some of the jargon out, because you look at some financial reports. For, you know, I'm a publicly, I work for a publicly listed company, ours is about 160 pages. You know, so there's a lot of gumph in there for, for our company. Um, do we need that as an organisation? You know, do we need transparency? Uh, probably the answer is yes. And how do we know or how do we make it aware that um, you know, members are, are understanding what the things are that Grand Lodge does apart from the ceremonial, which is what, you know, it's all chiefly based upon, but those governance principles, the business principles, how we organise and how we uh, are structured, it's very important going on in, you know, the, now more than ever, the eye of transparency and governance is upon organisations like us. Friendly societies have come and gone, you know. I, I think of the, you know, the old independent order of Oddfellows and what transpired there, the order of Druids, the Rechabites, you know. You could list, there's, there's a, a list as long as your arm of what happened to them and, you know, how they just sort of fell over. And, and it starts ultimately with bad governance. And it just rolls back from there, where you've got a small clique who make the decisions in isolation of the membership, who then become disenfranchised and don't understand how the principles are made. Now, I'm not saying that every decision has to be made aware of everybody. That's not going to work. But what we have to have is a, an open, honest, transparent system, which I believe, you know, for the most part we do. It's how can we make it easier and how can we make it more understandable? For, for many, I think that's probably the root cause for some people. Because in some jurisdictions around the world, that hasn't happened. And there have been issues. Absolutely. And I think here in New South Wales, in the Australian Capital Territory, um, we do have a, uh, a fairly robust 
oversight financial system or administration function within Grand Lodge here where we have a finance and audit committee that has oversight and meets, by the way, have, has, have met uh, since uh, March on a weekly basis when COVID's broken out to ensure that the actual uh, administration at Grand Lodge uh, uh, are actually paying its, its uh, you know, creditors and we've, we're collecting the dues that, um, that are coming in, making sure that, you know, behind the scenes the organisation is still running financially and is solvent. And uh, addition, in addition to that, as an organisation, we actually get audited every year um, and that those audited reports are also disclosed uh, and produced on the website and, you know, tabled at the grant communications. So, uh, you know, I'd say, like, on, on that transparency matter, absolutely there's there's always room for improvement and, you know, um, just having a look at the annual report of uh, Grand Lodge in Victoria, they've introduced uh, things like infographics and, you know, uh, transparency of, of the committees that there are uh, people that are on there and their qualifications. So, you know, that's something that we, we, we acknowledge and we're aware of and, you know, uh, it's something we're moving on and hopefully disclose and making sure everyone is aware of exactly the, the great resources in terms of um, talent and across the whole jurisdiction of people who are volunteering and contributing to make sure, you know, the uh, Masonic organisation is... Uh, doing well here in New South Wales. Something I, I want to draw back into or go back into the question a little bit more is um, Freemasonry, at least at the Grand Lodge level, has a ceremonial function as well as its administrative one. And so um, a, lot of, a lot of this question is around how important is it to keep those separate? So in order to do that, uh, um, how would you define for a non-Masonic audience, because this is, you know, on, this is a pu- uh, public podcast, how would you define the ceremonial function of, of the Grand Lodge? And from there, how is it different to the administrative function? And how important is it to keep those, uh, those two functions distinct? Are there any issues that can arise from not keeping them distinct, for example? Well, it's, a, it's a good question, isn't it? And I think ultimately we've, we've become so interlocked over the, over the course of our journey in, in the craft that you know, private lodges obviously started first, we got the Grand Lodge structure, sort of, you know, we say seventeen seventeen from you know UGLE, yeah. um, and then it you know it evolves on from then, and then you know you have in the late nineteenth century in New South Wales, you know, our Grand Lodge comes into official being in eighteen eighty eight, but there's a, pr- a prior Grand Lodge of New South Wales, and so you know we've we've adapted traditional frameworks of governance or, or traditional frameworks of administration. We, we are a ritual-based organisation, which is, you know, the, the, the chief item of, the, of Freemasonry is the, is the ritual. Um, everybody's admitted, you know, using the same format of ritual and, and whatnot, so that's fine. That's what we all sign up for. What has changed is the way that organisations are run, both publicly listed private companies and, and charities. And sometimes, you know, Freemasonry hasn't changed in, in, in those issues, and that's, I suppose one of the things in some jurisdictions that has caused issue for for some members i would imagine that you know the issue that we have in modern day society is you know do we reflect the community and that would probably be an issue because you know is our demographic representative of what the community is today so 
uh, Chris, just on, on that question, is, are, you, are you referring more to cere- like the Grand Lodge ceremonial function? Um, so uh, I'll give an example of um, where this has gone wrong. Um, I'm not going to name any grand jurisdiction or anything like this, but it has happened in a couple of grand jurisdictions where um, one of the aspects of the ceremonial um, side of things in the Grand Lodge is the awarding of grand rank, right. um, for example. Now, Unfortunately, in a number of jurisdictions, grand rank, and I'm, I'm not going to accuse any particular grand lodge of this. It's just happened around the world, and I happen to know about it. Um, the grand rank has been awarded uh, for services uh, to the grand master personally and helping him out with favors. Now, can this potentially lead to any issues if those same people that are being awarded for grand rank for performing favors, let's say, or doing things, and if they're also in charge of uh, finances and overseeing financial um, interests of, the, of a grand lodge? Because that has been an accusation in some jurisdictions before. So I think this is kind of where the, the question's kind of going in terms of ceremony. So part of it could be the ritual itself, but also the other things like the awarding of grand rank, etc. Okay. So on, on that point, I think um, for any organization, you know, where you do get uh, either promotion or, uh, you know, award of honours, there should be, I think, clear criteria as to, you know, what what those honours would require. I mean, let's draw it to the uh, Commonwealth Australia level, like to get an OAM or a um, Order of Australia. There, there are certain criteria that you need to meet. Uh, and it's usually, it circles back to what you have done for the community or the organisation you're part of, rather than, I think, on your question, uh, on what you mentioned about just... Um, for, for the Grand Master or for an pers- individual person. So I think here in New South Wales and the Australian Capital Territory, correct me, correct me if I'm wrong, there is there is a criteria for Grand Master uh, honours or, or there's maybe if there isn't, there should be or that's something we could yeah. work on. I, I am unaware should. of that. Yeah, okay. Look, I've, okay. Been a, I've been a District Grand Inspector of Workings, I've been the Regional Grand Councillor, been in the craft close to 30 years. I still don't know how Grand Honours work. I mean, I understand how the concept works, but I don't know how they're awarded. I don't know who gets what, how they get them, because there is no criteria. There is no saying, well, look, I've been involved in founding a new lodge or um, I've been working in this particular area for a number of years or I've been a DGIW three times or I've you know, done this sort of thing. They are you know, completely arbitrary and within the, within the gift yep. uh, of the Grand Master, of course, they are then um, approved on the floor of Grand Lodge. In all the times I've been at Grand Lodge, I've never seen Grand Master's honours refused or stopped uh, or even questioned. Now, I'm sure if you go back through the records, there's probably been some kind of argy-bargy once or twice during the course of it, but I've yet to see it in my time. So I think that's probably an issue around governance and frameworks and structure, right? Because, um, you know, if you are talking about awards and honours, normally there should be some kind of framework that we would have. In, in public society, you don't get an order of an Australia for just turning up. No, and that's why yeah, I was you know, alluding and, to and, it. And, where, so, yeah. you know, and, there's, and there's different rankings. You know, if, you're, if you're made a companion of order of Australia, it's obviously for a significant contribution to Australia as a whole and then you know, you know, to your state or to business or charity or community efforts. And, um, the same thing in Britain, you know, the imperial honours system... Uh, some of that works that they are personal gifts of the sovereign, but you know the government makes recommendations for most of the other orders, and and they have a criteria and a nominations committee. And I suppose the thing about the awards system for government is that the people that pick them are theoretically not associated with the government. So you separate, 
and that's a part of what I would think would be a proper risk management framework. Mm. I think a lot of our um, decisions in our organisation are made in, I'm not saying silos, but they are, we've, because we've taken an older system, power is centralised, decision making is centralised to very few. And the transparency of decision making and the way that we arrive at decision making is not public. Certainly not even within the organisation for some decisions that are made. You know, we've got things like Executive Council, Board of Management, we've got a charity board uh, in Masonic Care, which does, you know, they all do great work and they're all, you know, people are volunteering to do this, right? Absolutely. You know, I I draw no aspersions to anybody who has taken the time up to, you know, put their hand up and say, I want to be involved. I think they're all following noble pursuits. The only issue I think we have going forward is what is community expectation going to say? You know, are we representing what, you know, society is like in Australia in the 21st century? And the answer is going to be no, because, you know, we are an organisation based on principles that come from, you know, that's hundreds of years old. Now, we, we cling to the government system of the craft from the foundation. Doesn't change much. And... And I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not the one who's saying it should be. I'm not the arbiter of good taste in this decision. But what do we do as an organisation and how do we you know, how do we get a framework that says, and not even that it's more democratic because everybody is a member of Grand Lodge now, which is good, right? So everybody has that opportunity to say, I'm involved if they want to be involved. But it's how do we as an organisation promote greater participation? And I think that's probably a cultural piece. Yeah, nice. So you know that that it all comes when it all comes in together. Governance is just not the framework of risk management compliance or just the business processes. It, ultimately, it's the culture of the organisation yeah. and how do people feel in the organisation? You know, are we, you know, are we promoting younger people to have a more different input? Are we saying to them what are the things that you know draw young men into Freemasonry? You know, it's it, it changes. I mean, when I joined, I joined because my father was in it, my grandfather had been in it. I, I think that cultural question's a, <clears throat> a very a very important one to raise because um, when we think about the tension between a, a modern system, well, a more contemporary uh, um, system of governance and the traditional values of this organisation, it seems, and from the young men that I've been talking to, um, very clear that um, tradition is part of what attracts them to the organisation. And I think... Tradition has to be there. I think it's tradition is part of our culture. I mean, masonry is a traditional practice. The ritual's traditional. The garb is traditional. And I think that is attractive to, to young men. So if culture's a part of governance, then I think in any way of moving forward, we have to be able to move forward while preserving tradition. And that seems to be a challenge, Right. Like, that seems to be a hard ask. I think it's, from a ceremonial basis, it's not a hard ask. Because the ceremonial stands pretty much um, on its own two feet and has done for many, many years. I mean, the only issue I have with the ceremonial, really, is that we have changed the ritual for external forces like church groups and other organisations because we thought that that would ameliorate their considerations and make them have a better view of the organisation. I don't think that we've actually changed the ritual for the better, to be perfectly honest. I don't think we've done anything to our ritual that has actually changed 
anything that's going to make anybody external to Freemasonry say, well, that's a better organisation because of it. That's my, you know, that's my personal belief. That's one part of it, and that is a traditional basis and belief system that we all sign up for when we join the craft, and I think that that is absolutely, you know, I could say sacrosanct in many respects. I don't think you want to sort of tinker around with it. There's one bit. The bit, however, that really strikes it is when there is money involved, there is organisation involved, we're talking about properties, we're talking about jobs, we're talking about people... Those things have to come under the guise and under the requirements of a 21st century society, a modern, robust, cultural, uh, value-driven uh, organisation that is you know, using a proper governance framework with risk management principles. It has to be run like a business because it is a business. If you're collecting money and taking receipt of money, mm. and look, it doesn't matter. I'm the chairman of the local RSL club at Cogra. Yeah. You know, we have $40 million a year of turnover... We've got to run the place like a business. But it is still based on the foundation system that is the RSL, which is, you know, Returned and Services League of Australia. So values-based organisation, cultural organisation, traditional, yes, absolutely. Shouldn't change. But we've got money coming in. You've got to have governance because if people don't have... Um, and I suppose the, the key word in all of this is transparency. You know, if the members, the shareholders or whoever, doesn't un- do not understand how the organisation is run and how decisions are being made, then you operate in isolation and that's when you cause discord. Going back to the ceremonial, you know, look, we have a thing in Freemasonry that we say, you know, I will not, um, you know, uh, what, what's the line we use in the craft when we're going through as installed masters? I will not make innovation in the body of masonry. Well, you know, I would posit, team, that... Whilst that's fine in relation to the ceremonial, not making innovation for the sake of not making innovation means it will never grow, change or become better and able to interact with a modern society. Like, you have to grow. You have to change. This is not the same organisation that it was in 1888. You know, we don't have people knocking down the doors to come and join the craft. We haven't had two world wars recently, um, you know... If you're looking at people to join Freemasonry, we already exclude more than 50% of the population because it's men. So that's fine. You know, we can we can all live with that. That's how the, it's structured. And I'm not going to be the one that says we're not having... You know, we're changing that because I still want to have another year in Freemasonry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want to hit the 30 years. <laughs> so, you know, you get to that point point, you say, right, so there's 50% of the population gone. Um, but people have so much on their plate these days. They've got other time commitments... They've got work, they've got family, you know. So when you're going to say to somebody, well, we want some of your time, you have to make it so that they feel like they're going to be contributing and that they know what they're being a member of. It's not like joining... And Freemasonry is not a service club either. It's not a charitable institution. Even though we talk about charity, our key purpose is not charity. And I know this, some people will say, oh, Blacks and Walker, you're out of your mind. But Freemasonry was not founded as a charitable organisation. Rotary was, the Lions were, absolutely. That, but we were not. Thank you know, God we, you've said that. We were discussing that just previously, so thank God you've said that. <laughs> well, you know, look, we've all been to lodge meetings where, you know, uh, everybody gets up and we talk about charity and, you know, we've got to give and buy the pin and do the this and pass the hat around. and That's fine. Absolutely, we should be there for part of that. And, you know, we, in our ceremonial, it does talk about benevolence and charity. But then it also talks about, and furthermore... 
you know, secrecy, fidelity and obedience. Now, in a modern context, secrecy, fidelity and obedience are not three words that most people are comfortable with in external society, but we use a lot of words that most people would not be comfortable with. Now, I think sometimes because of the words we use, we've built a culture around how we operate um, and, you know, we talk about secrecy and sometimes we're secret even amongst ourselves in relation to the way that we run an organisation or the way that decisions are made. Now, we don't think we do that from, you know, from any malfeasance or anything like that. I think it's just, well, this is the way we've always done it. So traditionally, a small group of people have made the same decisions for the same period of time and that's the way it works. And look, I'm going to get, Blackie, I'm going to get a bit esoteric here. And mm. I, I see like on that, on Chris's question about ceremonial function and the administration function, I see the administration function as dealing with the material plane, the material world. Like Freemasonry is not immune from how we operate within the community. We have to comply with state laws of how monies, if we do have monies, are dealt with and hence the complexity can come from that. And if we're to exist, um, we have to deal and, and actually be agile and adapt to the material world. However, the ceremonial function, and this is where the distinction I do think is important because the cer- ceremonial function, I feel, is more dealing with the spiritual aspects of Freemason. So Freemason has to exist in the material world through its uh, governance and administration. And then more importantly, uh, in, the, in the ceremonial function, it's dealing with the spiritual aspects, right? So what, I, what do I mean by that? Um, you know, the, we all believe, <clears throat> you know, that there's, we have a, a soul where there's some kind of higher being, okay? And the existence, the continuity of existence comes through uh, our ceremonial function. Absolutely. It's to acknowledge, you know, the fact that, you know, the continuity of existence every year, you know, every year we have an installation both at the lodge and also at Grand Lodge levels. And so every year we're reminded, the final charge is one of the most beautiful charges. It is, it is That you get reminded of why we have this ceremonial function. The ceremonial side of our organisation is quite hierarchical, right? Um, should, I mean, and this is what I was getting at in the question about culture, right? Does that hierarchical nature from the ceremonial side necessarily flow into the administrative side? Because it seems it seems that administratively, we are a quite a top-down organisation. Um, there seems to be limited opportunity, from what I've experienced, for upward voice, right? For you know the lower orders, so to put it, to to speak to to those in charge. And particularly, I think this is interesting in in a contemporary employment environment where, unlike times gone past, where um, it, this hasn't been so much the case. Today, we've got a lot of young Masons who are employed in quite complex organisations or in corporate environments with complex governance structures that understand a lot of the things that we're talking about here and see what's going on and have criticisms, have questions to ask. Right? And yet, within a hierarchical organisation, a very top-down organisation... And one that uh, um, um, is, to some degree, a chain of command organisation. There can be a tension in the culture between between. Um, it's an us and them, and you know, I suppose taking it back, you're right. You know, between the ceremonial and the administration, the administration bears no resemblance to modern society at all. The way we run the organisation bears no resemblance to the way a modern a company or a 
a modern member-based organisation would be run because some members are more equal than others. Now, we talk about in our ceremonial that we're all equal, but we cannot be all equal if we wear different garb, if we're addressed differently. So I'm a right worshipful brother, so is right worshipful brother Wong. You're a worshipful brother, I believe, Phil. Um, Chris, you're, you're a brother. Now, I like the Grand Lodge of Scotland concept of whilst you're in the office... The office is most worshipful brother or right worshipful brother. You know, it's the right worshipful deputy grand master whilst you're acting in the office. But when you're out of the office, it's just brother. Yeah. I know we talk about these mm. sorts of things, but, you know, we've, we've adopted a very English system of um, hierarchy and, uh, and rank and we, we, you know, and I've seen lots of Grand Lodge officers of your say, well, you know, you know they've come down to the, you know, to the mosaic pavement and said to the newly, you know, initiated brother we're all the same our aprons are the same but i think if it was if you started as an entered apprentice freemason you had the chain and the big apron and the gauntlets and the whole hullabaloo but when you ended up at the top you ended up with the skin of a lamb Mm. you might find there might be a bit of change as to who was advancing and who wasn't sometimes now i know that's a little you know facetious but I, i think you know the problem we have is we have an a a traditional based member organization that's not moved with the times administratively, absolutely, because the decisions are made in isolation for the most part. And I, and I can say that because I've been a district grant inspector of workings, I've been a regional grand councillor, I've seen how decisions are made. Um, and, you know, decisions are made rightly for the membership as a whole. You know, people aren't making decisions for any personal gain. I've never seen that myself. But how we communicate those decisions and how people who are just newly admitted to the craft would say, well, how does, how does this organisation run? Well, you can look at the Book of Constitutions, but that doesn't really tell you how the organisation is run because, you know, it's, all, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an, an interesting document, but it's also a document of a bygone era in many respects, and it doesn't stand up to a modern... You know, if you were looking at a company today, we wouldn't be able to have the same people in the same roles for the same periods of time because they would say, it's, you know, you're not getting renewal. You know, you, 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 the way you've structured is not right. It, it wouldn't survive going forward. Yeah, and we're mod- no, as a modern organisation, and and we're no different from any organisation or sporting body or volunteer group. There's always going to be some tension and between you know the membership base or or the members and also those in the administration. You know, so I think um, it's got to circle back to the administration is there. To, I think to serve the greater good. And so it, they, they should be there to cause the least interference and actually allow the essence of why that organisation exists to flourish and to uh, proceed. So I think uh, the ceremonial function, for example, if we look at that spiritual side I was talking about earlier with Grand Lodge attending, say, a, a, a installation, I think the, the essence there is that um, the direct Grand Director of Ceremonies would help out, but it's really to keep... They're secondary, really, to the uh, officers and the worship master on the night because they are the centrepiece. And so Grand, Grand Lodge, anyone that's representing Grand Lodge or in attendance, I think a well-run installation and an enjoyable installation is whereby the centre of attention and the way things are run uh, are always um, uh, has, has the worship master and his newly, newly elected officers, you know, 
uh, for front, front and centre. So then if I flip to the governance side, the material world side of masonry, Grand Lodge administration should also ta- you know, be minimising any form of interference or making things complex for all the private lodges or local lodges to operate you know, to their, their functions. like, And one, one, one aspect is the reporting of their activities back up to Grand Lodge. And so the simplification of that process is very important, I think. So, so, so Grand Lodge here in New South Wales anyway is looking at improving the membership uh, reporting system, for example, so that Lodge secretaries don't have to fill in copious amounts of uh, paper-based forms. We're trying to move with the times so that, you know, you can use building a system and improving a system where lodge secretaries can use their um, phones, apps, tablets to sort of start reporting. So, you know, they're, they're aspects that, you know, are, are, we're not in isolation. Sporting administrative bodies have the same thing. You have ex-players who are in the administration or who choose to actually continue being involved with, say, Cricket Australia. They, and so no, there's no, I think there's no difference how, I think the fundamentally it's, down to your uh, intention of why you want to actually take on an administrative role. Are you doing something for the for the pure pure essence of it, or are you doing it for some other motive? I think the issue we have is if it was a business, you would have line of business. Yeah, right. So the ceremonial will be one line of business. Yes. The administration will be one line of business. You know, the financial aspects will be another line of business. We don't have that really because all decisions flow back into the pot right at the top. So, yes, in the old days we had a board of general purposes. We've changed that to the board of management. That's probably not the same um, as it was in the old days. Um, You've now got an executive council, which, you know, has, um, in New South Wales, obviously has a a big say. Yep. Um, Are all the members of the executive council elected by the membership? Some are, I think some are not. Some are appointed. Um, Same with the board of management. I don't think everybody on the board of management is directly elected by the membership, but that is that right? Just, just the question that I have on them, because I, I lived in uh, lived in Victoria for quite a while, so I'm not as familiar with the uh, structure of United Grand Lodge, New South Wales, and ACT. With these executive council and and this board of management, are they comprised of Freemasons or non Freemasons? Oh, in New South Wales, it's all Freemasons. All They're Freemasons. all Masons. Yeah. Okay. Um. Do you believe? And this is kind of like a tangential question, but it's um. It, it actually no. It does flow into you know the um separation of ceremony and administration. Um. Is is there any or could there be any potential conflict of interest or any any kind of um risk involved with having Freemasons even on a board level, um having so much say over over the rest of the organisation? Because I say this because there are some jurisdictions around the world that have now adopted a model where they're they have a, a an external council or an external board, like a like a publicly listed company, where they have a board which is not comprised of members of the company, but um, external. Do, do you think that there's any risk in how we currently do things with the board um, being comprised of Freemasons? What's your opinion? You know, in a in a publicly listed company, you have executive directors, you have non-executive directors. Even the major shareholder of an organisation can't control the organisation in its entirety. I work for an organisation that is. You know, owned by a private equity group that have 44%. You know, another group from Japan owns another 14.9%. They only have two votes on the board. So um, you have to have diversity of... And it's not diversity of membership, but it's diversity of thought and diversity of experience and diversity of process. And I think that's probably an area that, you know, the organisation will have to look at going forward is that... 
because we are responsible for you know monies and um, you know uh, properties and equipment and whatnot, that you know there may well be a, there will come a time when our organisation will have to have people who are independent. You know, and what happens is in a publicly listed company normally you have a non-executive independent director, and they you know they're interviewed by the chairman of the organisation to make sure that they're going to be a fit and they have to be voted for by all of the shareholders and the same thing would happen I believe in our organisation, but, you know, we need to have people who are not Freemasons but are specialists in what they do uh, and have experiences in running boards to be a part of our decision-making process. Now, not for the ceremonial and not for, you know, found, forming lodges and, and whatnot, but for making decisions that are impartial and that we all believe are impartial and that are made in the best possible realms of governance, culture, risk management and compliance frameworks you need to have specialists and you know those specialists may not be in the organisation effectively because we're excluding 50% of the members of people joining anyway. And, and to that point, I think the question is that, I, and I agree, we do have to keep it distinct then because I, I agree with uh, Chris and also right with Blacks and Walker and that is, look, with, with uh, introducing that diversity and having non-Masons uh, being on a board or a oversight committee, I, I'm, I think that's absolutely an, probably an, uh, not so much a necessity, but something that's going to get adopted as we evolve and move forward. And w- but with that uh, representation of non-Masons, the ceremonial aspects would have to get ring fenced off, and hence that's why you need to have that demarcation. Because I think uh, without knowing all the full details, in Victoria at one stage we did have a female; they had a female um, CEO on the administration side and there were I think uh, in reading some of the comments uh, post that appointment she was saying there were a lot of things ceremonially that were high uh, ring fenced away from her and but you know she had no visibility to that even though her you know her father was a a, a mason um, himself but you know I think that's where the distinction is it's always going to you know as we move forward dealing and how we operate in the community as a as a organization we will uh, eventually have non-nations on board to ensure we exist. Mm. And I, I bring that up as well because um, in, in the cases where, where there are board members um, or councils or whatever that are non-masons, um, the ceremonial is actually uh, demarcated, very demarcated very clearly that the grand master or the, or the grand team or whatever, they're, they're responsible for the ritual, they're responsible for the ceremonial and all these things. However, the administrative side of things, particularly when it involves any kind of financial interest, um, they're, they're done um, independently as well. And so um, another question that, I, that I've got is... Uh, Freemasonry has a number of fundamental values. So how do the fundamental values which are found in Masonic rituals such as justice, equality, temperance, harmony, prudence and charity in its original sense find an expression in Masonic regulation and in governance? All right. Well, that's, oh. a, that's a big question, isn't it? It's uh, a really big uh, one. It yeah. is a big question because you know, you've got the four cardinal virtues there and, and, a, and a couple of others that are, you know, we, we talk about quite, quite often mm. and... Because what I, I, this is a really good question because oftentimes, and this is without any criticism to any particular Grand Lodge, there are times when um, administratively these values, even though the positions that are held in the administration are by Freemasons, these particular values may not necessarily be expressed um, in their actions or even through, as, as the question is here, is, uh, through the regulation and through the governance. Can I just, just add one point there? I mean, I think we've kind of flirted around the outside of it a little bit, but I, I just want to go to the centre. There has been a r- report 
very recently into the uh, into a, one a particular grand a lodge. particular grand lodge in Australia. It was conducted by the Ethics Centre, and uh, the report did gesture, and we'll go into more detail in it a little bit later. But did gesture to mismatch between the values of the organisation, such as those that we're talking about here, and the behaviours of the organisation. So. Um, express value on one hand right, uh, and express to all members through ritual on one hand and then the behaviour of individual members, particularly uh, in the administrative functions of the uh, Grand Lodge in, in concern. Well, that report was, was quite damning um, on, on, of that organisation and you know, we're not going to name them because it's not... Not for us to do that. I'm a member of a uh, one or two lodges in that jurisdiction, and I, you know, believe there's other members here who are also members of lodges there. However, I think the issue is, you know, as fundamental values, that's one thing. But does it become more form over substance? You know, are we are we are we using them as catch cries and as as um, are we using them as just words and not living by the actions? Well, ultimately. Sometimes I think we do as an organisation. Sometimes we do as individual members. I mean, mm. we, you know, let he use without sin cast the first stone. You know, we're all guilty of uh, not acting as the best examples of Freemasons, you know, uh, in, in <laughs> that have ever existed. Yeah. We're not all good people. You know, I can give you a list of names of those who have been members of our Grand Lodge that are no longer. You know, if we had a lodge out at you know Long Bay Jail, you know, you've got. Roger Rogerson and a couple of others, and that's right. You know, uh, colourful characters, colourful characters, right? <laughs> colourful racing identities. There's another one, but you know, let's not talk about all the things that make us bad in that respect. However, the issue is, as an organisation, we promote these words, and they mean a lot to mm. us. You know, because you know, the, the four cardinal virtues are in every Masonic lodge, and, and, and they take up corners of every lodge. You know, justice, prudence, temperance. Fortitude is the other word that sort of jumps out to mind. That's part of it. So, yes, they're vitally important, but how do we as, as a group and as an organisation... Now, individually, I'm sure we all try and do to be the best examples of that. The issue is, you know, show me the incentive and I'll show you the behaviour. Okay. And the incentive has been in the past that by not acting to the, the values... Of, of what we preach or proselytise, that there are sometimes rewards or benefits for those who follow a party line. And, you know, um, there there are factions in our Grand Lodge. Absolutely. Now, we talk about things that there are no... Uh, every time we vote for a Grand Master, every year, we, we seem in the last few years to be having a fight amongst ourselves as to who should be the boss. Right? And that's you know it's not nice. They're terrible times, and we have a rule: no canvassing. Well, I'd, I'd, I would posit there's probably more canvassing going on in the last decade than I've seen in the previous twenty years. Now, I'll get you know that's not going to be a very popular comment, and someone will probably ring me up and say you shouldn't say that. Well, I can only say what I've seen, mm. and, and through my time as DGIW and RGC, I saw some terrible things. Now, the issue with that is, do you dob people in for things that they've done or said or they're hinting at or whatnot? Well, you can't really because you need to have proof of that sort of thing. But are we giving our best example of how we should be as an organisation? I think sometimes we let ourselves down and, and that's an issue. And, you know, when we have renewal of leadership, 
that's the that's the that's the crystal moment of when we should be coming together as an organisation and saying, right, this is the direction or this is the focus that we want to have. Now, you can't have that because we don't we don't elect our leaders because there is no canvassing. You don't know really what you're getting, except to say that, you know, when they put their paperwork in, there's a brief byline of, you know, maybe half a page, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. So, you know, you turn up to Grand Lodge or you vote to get your regional Masonic Centre if that's open at that particular time. Sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't, depending on what year it is. And uh, But it is a good system that we can now vote outside of Grand Lodge and I you know, applaud that being done. Right? That really means that we are enfranchising the rest of the jurisdiction. The issue is, um, what do we know what we're going to get? Now, I don't want it to turn it into an election you know, free-for-all, yeah. but we already have issues around electing Grand Masters. Yeah. Right? You know, that's not going to be a popular comment for some people and I cast no aspersions on anybody except to say... And I don't say I don't lay the blame at the feet of the individual candidates, but their supporters sometimes are not displaying some of those virtues mm. that we've just talked about. Now, that's one example of it. There are other examples around people thinking that they're doing the right thing by the organisation by you know in, imposing their will or saying, well, this is the way it should be done. And even in a, in, a, in an individual lodge, you know, you'll have old past masters or or zealous brothers that are telling others how they should be doing it or not doing it. Remember, it's a volunteer organisation. I do not get paid to be a Freemason. It costs me money. It costs me time. It costs me effort. So why am I doing it? Well, I'm doing it because I enjoy it. I'm doing it because I think I'm giving something back to community. I think I'm getting something in return uh, from the fellowship of of my brothers and, and my fellow Freemasons. But, you know, not always do we have these wonderful terms, temperance, harmony, prudence, charity. Charity takes on, you know, charity is good in one respect when it's charity handing out money and collecting money. That's one version of charity. The other char- word of charity is, you know, love of others and, and the, the love that you give to your organisation or to your fellow brethren. Sometimes we don't share each other with love. No. Spiritual charity as well. Absolutely. That's right. Absolutely. And I think sometimes we, we, we do drop the ball. On okay, that, on that side. So I just yeah, I, I let let me just add to that question that Chris raised about how you know also how how do the fundamental values found in Masonic ritual find an expression in our regulation and governance? Uh, one one recent example is uh, draw it to the COVID nineteen situation we've been in. Grand Lodge uh, owns and operates Sydney Masonic Centre. It's a commercial operation, so no, there's no difference. They pay rent to United Grand Lodge, New South Wales. So they uh, sought rent relief, right, because of obviously it's not just lodges meeting there. They run a commercial operation and have external events and so forth. So the the actual uh, values of, you know, offering relief, harmony and all that. So administration, the UGL administration, the governance structure agreed to offer relief to the Sydney Masonic Centre. The other things that they looked at, is other commercial operations uh, sought relief as well. So once again, in, in interacting, the, the administration in the governance structure would sort of reflect those uh, values to, to actually, uh, in a commercial and community aspect, offer those, those kinds of, um, you know, support. So it's not just a, a prof, you know, it's not just looking at uh, monetary value. It's also expressing what we learn in the lodge room 
to those that may not be Masons who are sort of subleasing off Masonic properties and so forth, that sort of aspect. I mean, Masonic Care is still another wonderful example Absolutely. of how we go out with those Masonic uh, rituals and, and try and, uh, you know, through the governance structure of Masonic Care, uh, offer uh, matching uh, interaction grants. You know, so they're, they're little things. Absolutely, and they are, and I, and I think even you know, on a wider format, some of the other charities that are associated with Freemasons, like the, you know, the RFBI and some of the others, you know, the work that they do with you know in aged care centres and and things like that has been nothing short of outstanding. Yep. You know, in many respects, and the way they've tried to communicate that. So that's also important. I think the issue that we have is when you come back to the in light of that ethics centre report. Okay. You know, it, it casts a light on us. Because some of the the key foci that we have is you know you know the, the words that we talk about um, haven't been held up by members of that jurisdiction. Now they're not going to be Robinson Crusoe because there are other jurisdictions, not only here but around the world, where those things are happening. Yeah. Um, and you know there are because of factionalism and because people have vested interests and because people want to be the boss or they want to know the boss or they want to be connected or, or for whatever myriad of reasons that you have. I can give you as many examples as you like of, of, of you know, you know why people are toadying up for, for favour or rank or whatever it is, right? Um, they're not the good examples of what Freemasonry is. And a lot of the times you see them take their eye off the ball of helping back their mother lodge or, you know, the lodge. They don't even attend lodge because they're too busy, maybe just focused on, I don't know, other other matters. Yeah, absolutely. It becomes, not that it becomes political because every organisation has an element of politics about it. It doesn't matter if it's the workplace, if it's a community group, a sports group, your local RSL club, anything that's involved in, you know, setting others apart in leadership roles tends, that are elected, tends, you're going to have politics. Now, we then say you cannot canvass. There's no canvassing. You know, you'll be expelled if you canvass. Well, you know, I hate to break the news. There's more canvassing goes on than we'd care to, you know, admit. Now, you don't see it openly mm. uh, and no-one's handing around posters, but people are talking. Yeah. People are inferring or, or, or making judgement. Now... But the issue we have is it's a modern society. I think canvassing's been going on since they started electing grand officers in the 1800s. And I think any limitation you put on creativity, it fosters creativity. People will find innovative ways or creative ways to get around a problem or get around a law or get around that, you know... uh, People are creative. Creative, yeah. (laughs) Every time you have boundaries or barriers, people will tend to be trying, you know... But when you talk about COVID also, Chris, I think you raised a very good point around, you know, you know what Grand Lodge has done. And I think it's been exceptional um, with, you know, with looking after its tenants and, and its other commercial arrangements. And that's fantastic. The other call out for me is the work that, you know, individual members have done to keep Freemasonry going. I think of, you know, the Masonic Education Network and the young guys that you know, have been involved in, in all of that has been fan- fantastic. You know, Absolutely. you'd look at, um, you know, Zoom. No yeah. one ever heard of Zoom no. before. I wished I had bought shares in Zoom. Yeah, same here. Right? Yeah. Um, it would have been like Afterpay. But the issue is um, that's a ground a ground roots ba- or a roots-based organisation of just some masons getting together and saying, what are we going to do? That's fantastic. That's what it's all about. And, you know, we need more of that in the organisation. So how do we foster the work that individuals do, not in any organised framework, right? There's no... You know, 
not to my knowledge, that Grand Lodge has supported. You know, they haven't not supported it, and I think they make no, it. No, 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 they've there. supported it. They've as supported well. it well, so that's great. But how do we encourage that or foster it to be the norm and, and not the exception? Like we've, we're living in exceptional circumstances. Lodges haven't been able to meet. How do we communicate? Well, you've, you know, we've taken young guys who know what they're doing. You know, IT savvy. Um, they're giving education and um, and information to to a, to a, a populace that are hungry for it. You know, the great thing about MEN is that, um, you know, it, it's, it transcends the jurisdiction. Absolutely. You know, you've got people yeah. getting online from, you know, I've been on uh, some of the Zoom chats and, you know, they've had people from Scotland or they've had people from all over the world giving talks or interacting. That's what Freemasonry is about. It's a, you know, it's an exceedingly broad church. How do we as an organisation make that the norm and not the, and not the, the outlier? How do we encourage it? I mean, it's like taking an entrepreneurial spirit and saying, right, well, where are the other pockets? Where's the regional pocket of that? But you don't want to stifle it. You no, want to no, keep the you, men network, no, no, the MEN, want, sort of like as another vehicle of light. Absolutely. To, 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 absolutely yeah. you do. But then what's the next vehicle and how do you make that or how do you help that? Incubate, you're talking about. Absolutely. This, yeah. You know, where's the innovation factory yeah. inside the organisation? Right, so who, who's who's in charge of innovation at Grand Lodge? There should be an innovation officer, a chief innovation officer. Well, within the network itself, what we're doing today is an innovation within MEN. We're, we're going to stick with the Zoom meetings. We're definitely going to stick with Zoom meetings. I mean, I like going to any, you know, every Wednesday, I think, listen to Brother Jerome, you know, in the MEN. I mean, the, the cat's talking, you know... Great shit, if I, mean, I could say that thing. word. This is the thing, you know, we, we started out with the Zoom meetings, Jerome threw in the Facebook Live. Yeah. Now we're doing podcasts. Uh, we're talking about um, putting together some, well, we've done one sort of basic symposium. We're going to put together maybe transactions. We're going to innovate. And I think when we look at what um, Masons do uh, in the community, sometimes they're innovative there. There's great things going on in Masonry. Right. And I think through this year, we were very well supported by a Grand Lodge. We didn't really ask for terribly much support because we're interjurisdictional. Mm. It becomes a little bit, a little bit difficult who you appeal to for support when you've got, me- you know, you've got members on the committee who are not Grand Lodge of New South Wales Masons, and ACT. Yeah. Right. They're, they're but that's important, though, right? Yeah. yeah. That's the beauty of Australian Freemasonry. That was the fun for me, honestly. And because uh, I remember there were a couple of times talking about getting support, and I, I had to say, well, if, if they want to, for example, do particular things for New South Wales and ACT, I had to put my hand up and say, hey, I'm, I'm a Victorian, you know, and, and do those kinds of things, you know, and whether it was, you know, um, for how much support, but um, I'll, I'll, I can talk to a bit of the innovation and things because I think this is partly the answer to how do we encourage more of this and i sometimes get asked uh chris why do you do the things that you do why do you just go out and do these zoom things or create presentations and do these things and it's i I believe something very fundamental it's what we do defines what we are kind of thing so what's the uh, what is what is a freemason for example which is the topic topic of our previous episode and, and we talked about how the, your actions, whether they are good or whether they are bad, that defines what a Freemason is. Because as uh, Phil brought up, um, you're not you're not the judge of your own character. You're not the judge of your own actions. Other people are, and so I've used that as a kind of positive motivation to say because um, there's a lot of younger brethren out there who I've spoken to who feel very jaded about the organisation and its governance structure. And you know, I, I, we want more of this, we want more of that. I've been, you know, and I don't want to talk myself up too much. This is just something that I believe in. It's if I go and do it 
you know, I hope that I can make that the definition of Freemasonry to make that and to serve as an example to others that, hey, if I go and do these particular talks that I do or um, whatever it is, that others will follow suit and they'll do the same as well. And so I think part of the answer, at least, I don't think it's the total answer because the total answer is going to be very complex because it's a complex issue. Um, part of the answer is being the change that we want to see. And, uh, and I think a good governance structure would foster that. A good governance structure would allow individuals like yourself to be able to make it funky, make it sort of relevant. And so it's not there to stifle. It's there just to sit in the background and offer that uh, environment. And like what uh, Right Worship Blacks and Walkers said, like incubation of ideas and, and innovation yeah. without sacrificing risk management and corporate community governance and regulation. I mean, if you can make this stuff fluid, funky and vibrant, yeah. you're going, people are going to say, right, well, I'm interested in that. Particularly younger Freemasons, they're going to say, right, this is a bit, little bit different than the way we've done it before. And, and, and how many times have we seen, this is the way we've done it? Now, that's tradition gone wrong. That's tradition gone mad. Um, the issue is, how can we innovate... How do we make it different? And how do you? How does when you do something as an organisation, does it say to your membership, particularly your younger membership, I feel engaged, I feel involved, I feel like I'm making the decisions, and they're driving it? Because you don't want what we don't want as an organisation is 80 year old guys saying, well, this is the way it's got to be done, and this for, and therefore this is the way you will be doing it. That's not going to win anybody any votes. That's not going to win anybody uh, a popularity contest. Or more importantly, that's the best way to say to your membership, see you later. Don't need you. Time to go. And if you have innovation and you have um, you know, the ability to drive these, these you know, w- what are core values to the organisation but instil them in a 21st century f- framework and format, well, then you know, the sky's the limit. So it's it's difficult in an organisation like this when when um, a group like this pops up that's decentered. It's we're we're not part of. I mean, we're each from various different jurisdictions, but we're not particularly operating within a jurisdictional framework. We're a grassroots thing, and we pop up. But the the good thing about um, the Grand Lodges of Australia, the various Grand Lodges of Australia that we work with, because we we include South Australia and Northern Territory in this. Um, is that they've enabled us to a certain degree. And I think this goes to what Chris was saying. There's a kind of um, um, an, a fostering and an enablement of, of what we've been doing, which which has reached a, a wide audience. And as you've said, uh, right, Wishful Brother, Blacks and Walker, uh, Scotland, USA, England, uh, Portugal, uh, various European countries, Philippines, um, you know, it, the, the, the reach is why we were even discussed in a Canadian um, Masonic uh, magazine uh, or newsletter. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's interesting what we've, we've done. But one of the things that, that uh, we try and do for, for Masons that we interact with is when they say to us, you know, here's a question I'm interested in and I get shut down on it and... and I want this question asked, and it's a, and like you look at it, you think that's a that's a tough question, and we'll we'll we'll, we'll probably cop blowback for, for for asking the question, or we might cop blowback for, for raising this issue, but there are young guys, there are guys new to the craft who are switched on, intelligent, they know how the world works, and they're asking us these questions, and what do we say to them? Well, oh, yeah, it can't it can't be asked because it's critical, and we can't we can't raise these critical points. 
No, you, 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 you know what, you're 100% right. And gone are the days when I first joined Freemasonry, it was, um, it was like being at boarding school. You know, it was very hierarchical. You, you did it this way. You didn't get out of line. You did as you were told. Um, and it was very, you know, automatic. Well, you know, the drop-off rates are outstanding. And the drop-off rates now are also quite perilous because we've got ageing population. Um, we also have an issue now how many people are going to come back to Freemasonry after COVID. That's going to be an issue. So you need to, now more than ever, we need to be connected. And we need to be making people feel that they have been enfranchised into the craft. And, and by that I mean that they are having a real and uh, serious input into the way the organisation, not only is it run, but in the way that it assigns its cultural values. Now, we take all of these words that we've talked about today, they were given to us hundreds of years ago. Right, they were given to us in our ritual. What have we done as an organisation in the last 50, 40, 20, 30, 20, 10 years even to say they're fantastic ideas but these are the ways that they are interpreted now? And I think that's a question that, you know, as an organisation we need to ask ourselves. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when I say, well, you know, Harmony, Prudence, Charity uh, 50 years ago meant something very different than they do now because it's a different lens. Now... I'm not saying that we change our, our ritual. I'm not saying, saying that we change our traditional values or, or core beliefs because, you know, we can't. Um, because, you know, I've, I've, made a, I've made an obligation not to make any innovation in the body of masonry. I don't even know what that means, but I've made that, you know, I've said that. I wouldn't do it. But, but the issue is, if we don't make some innovation in the body of masonry in the next little period of time, we're not going to have the body of masonry. And I, and I speak from experience. I was a member of the Independent Order of Oddfellows, which was a friendly society based around Australia. The IWF started in America 200 years ago, founded on the, you know, the Oddfellows in, in the Manchester Unity in, in Britain. And the thing that happened with the IWF in, in New South Wales was it just started to crumble. And it, and it just turned in on itself and membership declined and people didn't ask questions and you only had a few guys. And we were talking about large sums of money. You know, we, we had our own credit union, we had other bits and pieces. Now, IWF out of Victoria is now the IWF Financial Services Company. But around Australia, you know, you had all these friendly societies. We had our own life insurance products. We had, you know, we used to dispense, you know, pharmaceuticals to people. You know, the, you know, the sick and funeral funds, all of these sorts of things that we had. And it was all because we didn't have governance and a few made the choices and the decisions and were exclusive of how those decisions were made in the long run basically ended the IWF and, you know, then it went over, to, you know, it was transferred over to the Independent Order of Rechabites and I don't know where it disappeared to now. I mean, we've got a few lodges left in South Australia and one or two in Tasmania. That's what happens when an organisation doesn't listen to its membership or its young membership. I mean, I joined that when I was 16 because my father had been in it, my grandfather had been in it. That's just what you did. Um, and perfect example of how, you know... A, a, you know, and, and, and the basis of, of the IWF is friendship, love and truth mm. and faith, hope and charity. You know, they're the, they're the, they're the six key words of the organisation. Not dissimilar. Not dissimilar, yeah. you know. I mean, there's not a, there's not a great deal of difference between the IWF and some of the in initiation rituals that I've you know, undergone there and, and the things you see in Freemasonry. They're very similar stories. And for me, yeah, for me, Freemasonry, you know, that spiritual aspect or the, the spiritual charity as distinct from the material charity we're talking about, I mean, Masonry gives you guidance and hopefully provides, you know, ideas on how to live uh, an inspired and meaningful life. 
Absolutely. And so I think it should have a culture or framework where you are allowed, you should be allowed to ask questions, you know, tough oh, questions. Absolutely. You know. it, it should be, I'm not saying it should be encouraged because otherwise you know, you'd go to a meeting and it'd be chaos. But the issue is how do we as an organisation say we want the feedback but we're going to do something with the feedback? How do we as an organisation not have those questions raised in the first place because it's transparent and people know what's happening more so than we do because oftentimes you'll you'll hear people, and we've all heard this, oh, that's what they do at Grand Lodge. Oh, it's Grand Lodge. Well, who's Grand Lodge? We're all Grand Lodge. But who makes the decisions? How are the decisions made? Are they transparent? Are they open? And do we feel like we're all a part of that decision-making process? I suppose at the end of the day, in a publicly listed company, you have a lot more people knowing, one, the decisions are made, how they're made, where the management and the worker sits in the decision-making process, than we even have as our organisation, which is a members-based organisation. So they're some of the things that we can take out of modern 21st century business practice, transfer to our organisation. We probably need to have some kind of line of business attitude taken, I believe, so that you're not getting the mixed match of decision. What works in the ceremonial is not going to work for in property services, is not going to work for in the investment fund, is not going to work for in the administration section. They're completely different concepts. Can't have the same overlay. Now, you can have the traditional value framework. Never, you know, They're the core values. Every company has their value system and their, and their core values, their mission statement. Absolutely. We should have that. But what we, what we can't do is have think that the one-size-fits-all approach is going to keep working for us because that's the way we've done it. Yeah, but also, don't you think there's a, a sense of apathy as well, maybe, from the broader membership base? Because every quarterly communication, you know, papers are made available for members to read through. They're, they're basically uh, reports of what the various committees, board of management and so forth. So, I mean, the tr- in some aspects, the transparency of what goes on is there, but it's probably not challenges much or maybe read or questions asked on the floor on the night or all of the above yeah it happens every four quarters i mean every quarter there is a communication meeting where everyone can rock up everyone can stick their hand up and stand up get the microphone and and say a few words how many young masons actually stand up at a quarterly communication you know i did it once 20 odd years ago more and i think it was probably the first time i was in the chair and they talked about changing the way that the role of DGIW and RGCs, they could come to your lodge and what they could do. And I had this crazy idea of being the representative of Solomon as master of my lodge, that I had ultimate power in my lodge. Well, after asking that question in that framework and in that meeting, I realised very quickly I didn't have ultimate power. Um, and, and, you know, so, you know, talk about blowback. Now, that was fine for me. I've, I've sort of gotten through that concept. But, you know, do we as an organisation... Actually, I don't think I've been to a meeting where I've had someone say at the meeting, what do you think to the membership? How do you think we should do this? Or are what we're doing at the moment, do you think that sits right with you? I mean, I don't know. I can't remember ever being invited to a focus group. I can't remember ever being invited to uh, anything that says, you know, like a, you know, well, uh, you know, an ideas forum or, or an incubation meeting of ideas or, or, or throwing things around. Now, you have DJW conferences and you have RGC meetings and things like that. They're fine. And, we, you know, we're supposed to flow information up the line and board of management and, and stuff like that. But is that actually getting... That's an old-school system. Yeah, facilitating upward voice is, is... And that is key to driving 
engagement with your membership, engagement with your community, and that's the thing that ultimately upward voice is what, you know, in modern business parlance, if you're getting connected with your customer, and I'd hate to use that term, but if you're connected with your customer, the sky's the limit. And if, you exactly. bu- and if you build loyalty amongst your, you know, and I'd hate to use these, you know, because it doesn't transcend. However, is in an organisation, in a business, if you are connected with your revenue source, your revenue goes up. Yep. Right? And, and, and for us, our revenue is not about the number of Freemasons we have, but I think our revenue is about what we do that is beneficial to ourselves and the organisation and how we enjoy it because, you know, we're told in that final charge, I trust, therefore, that you have but one aim, meeting in the grand design of being happy and conferring happiness. Well, if you're not happy going to Lodge, here's the free tip, don't go. <laughs> right? Crazy idea. But, you know, we've all got other things that we could do. Uh, and that's the issue. So how do we get upward voice? And I mean really get it and get people engaged and inspired to want to say something and make change. The change that's appropriate, not change for the sake of saying, well, you know, guys, can we go from the sky blue to the dark blue or the, no. you know, can we, you know, change the colour of this or... But, you know, change that's going to say, well, you know what, they've listened to what I've had to say and they've done something about it. It's quite a scary concept. If you've just joined the craft and you see the hierarchy, you're not actually going to be putting your hand up at a meeting and saying, well, I think we should be doing this. It doesn't happen. The way we sit in, a, the, way we sit in the lodge room automatically says that it's not going to happen because, you know, if you sit in the east, most lodges, you've raised up above the membership. Now, I'm not saying we should all sit on the same level, but we should. Well, you don't go to a board meeting and the chairman sits up raised on three steps. Well, not in any company I've ever been to and certainly not at the Cogra RSL Club where I'm chairman. <laughs> One last question, brethren, and I'll, we want to end on a, on a fairly sort of spicy note. Um, Chris, earlier... And he didn't he didn't mention the Ethics Centre report, but he did raise the question of of um, uh, rank, which the Ethics Centre said you know our system of rank is not only um, not only works poorly with uh, uh, um, good governance, but is inimical to it. But right, keep that in the back of your mind when I ask this question. The Ethics Centre report also, in regard to the the jurisdiction that it was concerned with, and and I think to some degree this is a universal. I was speaking to a brother in another jurisdiction internationally. We agreed that this seems to be an issue. All right, so the Ethics Centre report said that masonry in this jurisdiction had lost its North Star. Its North Star, its point of orientation. It had lost its North Star. Okay, what I want to ask you both is, what is that North Star? And how do we make sure we don't lose it? And if we have lost it, how do we regain it? Well, I think if I, if, if I can couch it in terms of the North, the North Star could be, in, in these terms, your mission, maybe your mission statement or your, what your vision should be for the, for the organisation you're part of, and then the governance structure is literally like it's operational strategy to help you realise or move you towards that vision. And so, you know, you, you will have strategies, you will have frameworks, you will have uh, enabling uh, frameworks for, you know, innovation um, that will hopefully get you step-by-step step closer to that vision. Now, that North Star, for, for, from, in my opinion, for Freemasons would be to... for. Uh, to, to actually provide 
mentoring or a guidance to live a, a fulfilling and inspired life that would utilize the skills that you have inherent in you and that creative spark that we all have. Like we're all very different. And Masonry is one beautiful organization that acknowledges and recognizes in its tenants that, that those broad um, measures we all have individually. And the vision would be to um, actually enable you to fulfill those personal obligations in this lifetime. Okay, so the, the whole framework and the governance should be providing a platform for lodges to provide that to its members, to that individual, right down to the individual's uh, star or spark within each lodge. So but if you lose that vision, you know, it, it, it probably means there's a, there's a disconnect, there's a misalignment between strategy and vision or, you know, you, how you're executing or implementing your policies or what the policies are in the first place. That's right. And if you're going to have a mission statement, who makes the mission statement? Who engenders the mission statement? Where does it come from? Does it come from the membership? Does it come from on high? Because if it comes from the membership, then they own it. And we all sing from the same hymn sheet. If it comes from on high, then automatically you're going to have a, a discrepancy in values because you've got a discrepancy in cultural appropriation of that. You know, it's voice up. And I know it's a, it's a thing I've never heard of. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a, a new term, really. That, but in business... We hear about that all the time, you know. How do, um, even in your staff, so do we have a, a net promoter score in the organisation? Now, I'm not advocating that we should all have a net promoter score in Freemasonry, right, because it's, that might be a bridge too far for some. But you know how you go as, a, as an organisation, as a, as a, and your North Star is in sometimes your net promoter score. How do the workers feel working for the organisation that they're in? And you need feedback. You know, do we get, you know, do we do 360 feedback on... In our organisation? No. No, we don't. We don't ask. And we need to ask those questions because we need to be, as leaders or people who have been leaders in the craft, and Chris is still serving as, you know, Deputy Grand Treasurer. He is a leader in the craft. Um, I've, I've had leadership positions as DJW and RGC. You know, did I ask? Probably not. You know, you, you, you like to envisage that you've, you've been conciliatory and you've... But where do we as an organisation, as a whole, get the feedback? from grassroots and, and lead it up. Yeah. It's got to push up. It's no point coming from the top down. It doesn't work that way. Culture has to be set at the top, absolutely. But setting the culture without knowing what your people want is just it's misalignment straight away. Before you've even got out of the gates, you've already pulled a hamstring because you'll never win that race. And on the micro level, you can look at it at the lodge level. Absolutely. I mean, the, the worshipful master should be providing that North Star, that light, and he's... He's got his own organisational, uh, you know, strategy in for the for the next year's uh, internal office. He's got his secretary and treasury, you know, providing that support. And but do we teach brothers on their way through how to be leaders? And that's you know that's another thing that we you know that we need to touch on as an organisation because if we're not getting them talking now and getting you know voice of consumer up the line, then we the, the culture that we set is. Oh, well, the past masters tell you how, how you'll be a master when you get there. Well, too late. Too late. Right? You, you, you've spent your seven years on your way to the chair or whatever it's been. Some go far shorter than that, but that's the problem. By the time you've hit the chair, then the past masters are in your ear to tell you how you're supposed to be doing it. Well, that's, that's really not going to work because all we're doing is taking the culture that was set 
from 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago and just trying to layer it on top of the new organisation. It doesn't work that way. And it's, you know, it's like saying, well, you know, when the, you know, the CEO of the, the, the Commonwealth Bank, well, why doesn't he take, you know, advice from the guy who was the chairman 40 years ago? Not going to happen. doesn't happen in any organisation. Once you're done, you're done. And the new people come in and they start running the show. Yes, there's some cultural uh, takeover and, and, and whatnot. That's fine. But as our organisation, you know, we, we haven't had that. You know, we, we cling to some ideas... We try and change. We come up with pithy slogans. We're very good. Every grandmaster has a new slogan that they like to roll out when they become grandmaster. We've already got all the words. I, you know, personally, I don't need any more new words. What I now need is some actions to say, this is what we're doing as an organisation, fine, but this is what we're getting from the membership. Like, how do we get that and extract it and take it up the line? And that is used as the foundation of the way that we move forward. The success of Freemasonry in the future will not be maintained by the leadership. It will be maintained by the membership. And when the leadership understands that, then we will move forward. So it's a two-way thing. Absolutely. We are in a symbiotic relationship. Yeah, absolutely. The leadership does not exist without the membership. There will be no Grand Lodge if there is no membership. There will be no private lodges if there is no membership. So how do we work together, and we're all Grand Lodge, but how do we all work together to make that happen? And how does, how does the young person, the young man that joins Freemasonry and been in it 12 months, how does he think that or feel that he is a part of the Grand Lodge? Yep. And that's the biggest bit. Now, yes, we get them up and we stand them up, and we might, if they turn up, oh, stand up, and where's your mentor? And that's great. I'm, I'm all for that. But what are we really doing? So it could be a, like a grand uh, uh, half... Once a year, that it could be a Grand Masters uh, uh, symposium with worshipful masters of all lodges in the jurisdiction. They get together a bit like how you have, you know, when you're DJIW, we all got together, we got to meet the Grand Master and, you know, understood about and voiced issues and understood yeah. the challenges. So maybe, you know, a little one day event where all the worshipful masters and their wardens can get together, you know, turn up to Grand Lodge and sit down, chew the fat. I'm sure the Grand Masters would love to do that. But even, even if it's not Grand Masters doing that, I'm sure it's other people in Grand Lodge doing it. You know, all the Grand Secretary, all the, the administration, you know, the people that are making decisions, Grand Treasurer, you know, do we know as an organisation how it's run? Most members have got no idea how the thing is structured. Mm-hmm. Now, I know we give them all the information, but we don't give them the how, the why and the wherefore. We don't. And that's the problem, because they don't know what they're a member of half the time. And I think that's another issue that we need to explore as an organisation. How do we make it, I'm not saying easy, but how do we make it engaging? Because if you can't make it engaging, you won't get upward voice. And you get apathy. You get apathy in leadership. You get apathy in membership. And, you know, then one, then you get a silo, and it's not a good silo to be in. Because, you know, people are making decisions in isolation of others... Um, and, and that's a problem. Definitely. Um, I'd like to thank uh, both you, brethren, for coming in today, Right Worshipful Brother Wong and Right Worshipful Brother Blackstone Walker, and thank you, Phil, as well, and to all our listeners as well. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation around Masonic governance and look forward to recording our next episode. Stay tuned.